All right. Well, I cut back a little bit earlier, right before the Radio Shack America's Technology Store part of it. <laughs> I thought it was over. All right. Well, we're, we're back. Um, and let's see. We've got, we're waiting on uh, Mark. Um, you coming hey, back, I Mark? I forget. Was there a dragon there? Lord Dragon? No, a dragon to see at the oh. show. <laughs> Yeah, Stevie, uh, I don't know if you can hear us, but was there any uh, Dragon 32s? Uh, can you hear me? I can. David Lobb bought both okay. of his dragons. Uh, other than the ones that, that were on Coco Corner that I think David Lab brought, I didn't see any other dragons. I did I did see some Coco 2s for sale and an MC-10 and a Coco 3. I actually saw an MC-10 and a Coco 3 in the Commodore section. Yeah. All right, and, and for the MC-10, were they offering to pay you to take it? Uh, no, they were asking me if there was any software available for it. <laughs> <laughs> I told them of an obscure guy named Jim Gary. That's uh, yeah. And about 300 things you can download. Software coming forward like crazy. <laughs> okay, well, I think we're going to try to get through news. I'm going to need some um, participation from the panel. Uh, so I'm not just droning on about this. So I uh, uh, hope you guys are able to um, help out and add your thoughts. Uh, Does so snoring count? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, we'll we'll take help from even from Canadians. Oh. <laughs> All right. So um, welcome to news. So I'm gonna get uh, set up here. I've got Curtis's notes and. Let's move, okay. And I will be able to uh, sh share my full screen and then I'll, I'll be, you'll see a little bit of behind the scenes of my monitor, but then we'll go uh, full screen to the videos. Uh, so here we go. So I'll tell you what the first one's gonna be. Uh, well, you can see my screen here. Um, okay, so we've got Jim Gary has done an update to bomb, his bomb squad. And you, you can now, or you must now, disarm three buildings. So uh, if you haven't seen Bomb Squad, it's uh, one of part of the Jim Gary collection, MC-10 collection. And we'll, uh, we'll play a little bit of Bomb Squad right now. Uh, I don't know if there's sound, but we'll, we'll just let it run. Right, you're a member of a disposal squad. You must find the bombs hidden in the corridors of three buildings. Not one, not two buildings, but three buildings. And I think we're not gonna, I think that's it, no? All right, here we go. All right. Oh, wow. Stunning low resolution visuals. You got time. You got time limit there, man. Uh, Real time clock. Got a hustle. That's right. Written in basic and basic. And basic. 100% basic and basic. Pretty good. Yeah, you better uh, take a take a photo with your with your iPhone of that maze so you can look at something while you're running around here. It does go pretty fast, doesn't it? Yeah. I gotta say, the speed on that's really impressive. Winding fast. It is. It is. Oh, it is. It is good for yeah. yeah. Now, is this using the high speed poke? That's a joke. That's a that's a little bit MC10 humor. <laughs> All, right. All right. I think Jim Gary is gonna fail at his own game here. Oh, it, it is it is actually 100% basic and machine language, according wow. to according to Jim Gary. It uses Greg Dion's machine language line draw routine. Okay, okay, that was pretty fast. And Ben Drake says, "I need to add this to my list of games to play in VR." So, so where can will... Jim's games be gotten from? Jim. Gary, where can they be? Where can your games be gotten? Says Nick uh, 
Maroda from Canada where they don't uh, have a proper grammar. I believe that was proper. <laughs> so maybe pull out a dictionary. Uh, well, we'll post. I, I believe I know where to get to where Jim Geary's website is. So we'll, we'll post it in the chat here in a second. Uh, but speaking of Jim Geary, we have another Jim Geary game called uh, Lunar Lander. And this, I believe, is a new release published on September 8th, only uh, but a few days ago. And we'll get this going here. Jim, Jim Gary saying is SG6 is the, um, um, the low-res graphics mode being used on the bomb game. Oh, there we go. Thank you, Mark. Mark uh, has posted Jim Gary's website in the chat. All right, so here's all the instructions. Are we, I think we're moving along here. Okay, oh, well, you've got your fuel and uh, things are happening here. And uh, apparently you crashed. All right, where do I, where is this music coming from? Playing music. What are you listening to, Rob? I don't know. I've got something. <laughs> Hold on. Here we go. Alright. Oh, YouTube started auto playing on the other uh, screen. So I've got to remember oh. to cl close the. <laughs> I've got to close these windows after we're done. MC10 has incredible sound. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so moving on, now that I, uh, I'm aware that YouTube's going to do that, uh, we've got Quiz Night Gang from Jim Gary. The hits don't stop a coming. <laughs> okay, Quiz Night. Press any key to begin. Okay, no, there's no choice for doorstop on that question. Okay, this game is going very fast. There was a doorstop option. The phallus. Okay, so if you wanted to know more about the MC10 and test your MC10 knowledge, I think I think I know of somebody who just recently acquired an MC10 who is up in Canada who might want to take this quiz. Oh well, yes, yes I will. Yes. I don't believe in using it unless I'm fully. Uh, That's right. Familiar with like driving. All right. Well, like if you want to know test. more, see this is what I have to stop. It's got uh, it's auto playing. Okay, so we stop that from happening. All right, so Jim Gary, his games are posted in the chat. Uh, now we, I'm going to need some, uh, does anyone here know, know OS9 other than me? Any? Uh, minimally. All right. Minimal. Let's come back to that one. Because <laughs> uh, I'm, just, I'm just talking to myself. So we'll see if Curtis joins, uh, when we, and we'll save that for the end if he, yeah, that would, if he comes be back. Better. So I have somebody to talk to about OS9. I get, get a little bit lonely. Uh, okay. So Ben, Nick, Nick Marentes knows about it, but he's not here. <laughs> yeah, Nick, Nick yeah. Marentes knows, uh, knows a little bit about that. Okay, so um, again, um, uh, I know the screen is a little cluttered. I'll, I'll make it as uh, easy to read in a, in a second. Ben Jimenez has been designing more graphics for his graphical adventure game in BASIC. Let's take a look, shall we? All right, let's no see if I can... No need for color, huh? Uh, that's about as big as I can make it. Okay, and then I don't think it's going to get any bigger. So anyway, um, 
it is what it is. I don't know how to zoom in any farther. Um, if I had done, if I had had some more time, I would have extracted the images. But uh, you can kind of get a sense of what's happening here. Um, anyway, uh, just an update from Ben Jimenez, and you can see uh, he's got his uh, tiles and sp and sprites, uh, and um, and again, it's just too small. Uh, so we'll see if we can figure out a better way to look at it. But if you want to see it, uh, I will post the link to the Ben Jimenez in the chat and some of the other Facebook stuff if, if it's too small. So we will exit what, out of what, the... What's this game called? I don't know if it has a name. It is, um, he, it's just called a graphical adventure game in basic. Well, okay. Um, okay, and we've looks like we have a Paul Thayer. Paul Thayer has a video demonstrating a machine language routine that lets you select a 16 color palette from all 64 possible colors displayed on the screen simultaneously using a joystick or mouse. And let's take a look. If see if this will. Uh, see if we can get this there we go okay all right let's start this at the beginning so you got uh, looks like you got uh, all 64 colors here okay and then you get to choose your palettes and then um, I don't know what you do with that after after uh, you choose the palettes But I guess you can put this into some kind of game. Hey, Mark, can you um, can you check and see who's at the door? I did. Okay. Anyway, thank you, Paul Thayer, wherever you are. And um, would like to maybe hear from you on another show about um, the ways that this can be used in, um, in, uh, in our various games or the way that you're going to use this in some of your game development. But uh, very cool. Um, tool that's available. Uh, let's uh, talk about Richard Kelly. Um, okay, let's see if we can get some of these playing. So Richard Kelly has an early version of a program that he's writing to help dump the extended basic ROMs. Uh, so he created this to look up the contents of extended color basic ROM. It's not a final version. Um, so if you want more information, we'll probably just, I'll just probably just post all the links um, to this. I'll click on this, but it's not gonna be very uh, large. It certainly isn't uh, very view viewable. So uh, we'll move on and we'll post the link to Richard's Facebook post in the chat. And then our very own David Ladd uh, was uh, posting around those who have a Coco VGA on a Dragon. Coco 1, 2, or 2B, Bravo, uh, that he found something nifty out about uh, installing the Coco VGA. And if you don't have access to a TV or monitor that has a VGA input on it, he uh, said you could use this, uh, this doohickey here, which is uh, available on Amazon.com. Uh, and uh, that will convert it to a HDMI output. So thank you uh, for that update, David. And it looks like Stevie Stroh did actually try it out and it, and it worked very well. So if you have a, if you need an HDMI uh, output for your Coco VGA, it is a fairly simple uh, and cheap device to make that happen. Moving on. Uh, Scotty Animation on YouTube has uh, done a Coco 2 basic programming video this past week. And um, I guess what we're going to see here is a way to detect a key being held down in basic uh, so that you don't have to continuously be, be pressing uh, down. Um, and 
let's take a look. Uh, don't know if there's sound, but we'll find out here. All right, this here is a quick test of uh, some it. of the keyboard stuff that I found out about. And also the, the thing loading, I'm still testing that stuff. So I'm going to erase the program in memory. Make sure there's nothing in memory. Okay. C load. I'll go to Audacity on the PC. Okay, assistant. Excellent. Okay, saving loading just fine. Uh, I don't need line 20, so that. Okay, so. For good keyboard input, okay, I want to be able to press a key and continuously get a code for that key. And then when I let go of it, it should stop, you know, giving that code. The end key command in basic is not sufficient. You've got to keep pressing the key down. So I just, that's not sufficient. Uh, so, I looked at the memory map of uh, the color computer basic, extended basic, and I found two memory, just decimal, 256.282. So, the first memory location should be the ASCII code of the key, and the second memory location, 65.282, will tell whether or not a key is pressed or not. As such. Okay, now I'm going to press the A key and just, I'm just going to tap it and let go of it. Okay, so it, it still retains the code of the key that was pressed, but in the, the second column there, which is zeros now, you'll see, now I'm going to hold the key down, the A key down. You'll see that it's constantly 255. So this is the stuff I needed. All right. So this will tell me, now let go of the key. So I can use these two memory locations for complete keyboard control. Cursor keys, which I, the end key statement in basic, I don't think can do that. Up and down keys. All right, so that works. And that's great, and it's fantastic. Okay, that's uh, one little hurdle, hurdle that been over, over, you know. <laughs> Dude, look out! <laughs> yeah, it is fantastic. <laughs> okay, so I guess you, there's a simple routine to getting a key repeat uh, that uh, we've heard from Scotty Animation. Thank you for that, uh, Scotty. And and uh, before we before we talk about the OS9 segment. Uh, We've got a, an additional video from Scotty Animation again. Uh, it's a uh, Coco 2 figuring out simple drawing program. So that's, uh, we won't play here uh, all eight minutes, obviously, but we'll take a look and see what it looks like from Scotty Animation. Hello, Scotty with Scotty Animation here. And today I am programming on the TRS, well, the Tandy Color Computer 2 64K. Uh, I have, I'm using a cassette cable running into a Windows PC so I can save and load the program. All right, let me skip ahead a little bit. Uh, here. Uh, it looks like he's introducing the video and loading a program. This looks like his uh, key repeat program again. Remember that. So I'm going to erase this program and I'm going this to. Is back. Oh, good. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to skip ahead here uh, to get to the drawing program. 
And then we'll go back to Curtis for the OS9 segment. Yeah, just a bit of comment on this guy. He's uh, He's been doing live streams, apparently, of these, um, which I found out after the fact. But uh, he's not really ever used a Cocoa before, so he's just kind of learning as he goes. But for somebody who's just learning, I mean, learning how to do a key repeat and basic, it's pretty advanced. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah, because he's getting around shortcomings of the in key command. So that could be yeah. useful for people. Or... And a different method than I'd seen used before, actually. Yeah, well, that's that's exciting. I'll have to follow him. You can probably skip ahead to the actual okay. demo here. Oh, okay. The graph is going. Let's go. Oh, here we go. Okay. All right. So supposedly, I could be able to use the cursor keys to move the, the point around the screen. If he if he came from the Commodore world, he's got to be in heaven. Yeah, he did do a typing booby. I used the wrong key code for one of the arrows. I can't remember which one. He can't go right, in that direction uh, right now. I saw it when he was typing wrong. it in. Right, so what are we looking right. at here? Is this um, why? Why is this blue? Okay, that might just be uh, his camera. Okay, because yeah, I don't recognize that mode. Yeah, Line one twenty should be ninety four, not ninety two. I think is where. Yes, Scotty. Get it together. <laughs> well, actually, the code is 92 and 94. Yeah, you know, it's supposed to be 94. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, let me think. Anybody who knows Coco Askey should know that. I know. Right. Okay. <laughs> I think. Um, no, um, I'm just impressed that he 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 stated in one of the videos that came out of this one, the first one, where he, he had just started using Coco. He doesn't really know Coco Basic all that well yet. Doesn't know the cook at all that well yet, and yet he's you know pulling off stuff like you know key repeat. Now, yeah, he's poking around a memory yeah, lab. He said. So yeah, if he's reading pretty good. for the key repeat part of it, and then he's actually using the basic keyboard rollover table. He's using the value in there to get what the key press was. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not used to. Yeah, if he if he gets into it more though, he might be able to get a Coco VGA and a capture card. So. Um, you know, hopefully he'll enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to comment on his page there. I didn't get a chance to yet. Uh, because I just found this one this morning, actually, and uh, actually, if you, I also subscribe to his page, so if he does his live stream, maybe I can pop it in and give him some clues. Yeah, he might not know about the Coco VGA. All right, well, uh, thank you, Scotty Animation, and we'll be uh, hopefully hearing more from him. All right, so moving to the, uh, let me make sure to pause this, and uh, thank God somebody's here to that I can talk to about OS 9 because the rest of the panel the rest of the panel was uh, really uh, bringing me down here uh, with their lack of uh, hey, knowledge. Folks. It's been a little Sorry. while since I've done anything with the okay. Alright, well we don't know exactly who TJ um... No, and he's blocked out comments too which is kind of annoying because I'd love to get to know him a little bit better he's, he's doing a lot of the stuff that Bill and I used to do back in the day um, yeah, so I'm gonna. He does a pretty good job though of introducing what he's doing and and why. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play this and let the yeah. audio. I, I will mention this one's longer. This is like a 15 minute segment. So I don't know if you wanna. What part yeah, I will. I have already watched it, so I'll I'll, oh, okay. I'll skip ahead. I don't think I watched all of it, but anyway, I think the beginning is probably what. Um, yeah, I, I will keep it moving. Though. Hey folks, it's been a little while since I've done anything with the computers lately, but I figured I would do something I've wanted to do for a while now, and that is a little demonstration of OS9's multi-user and security functionality. So, Hey, can everyone uh, mute, mute your, if you're not talking, can you mute your mic? Yeah, somebody's breathing Thank heavy. You. Whether or not you make use of it, there's an underlying security layer, file security layer that OS9 has, and process security layer, that uh, you really don't interact with, and you really don't get much clue of, unless you happen to run a couple of commands that hint as to its existence. Um, when last I met this machine, I had used the Bitbanger serial port to connect over to the Model 4 here, just to make sure I could make the two talk. So for today, we're going to do things a little differently. And for the terminal for the Color Computer 3, I'm going to use the Apple IIe over here. Figure I'll bring that into the fun. So actually, let's get that started up now. And I'll load my terminal program up. And the Apple II is using a flop emulator, just like many of the other machines are. <laughs> So that's why no disk sound. 
but either way, here comes pro term. So while that's starting up, I'm going to go back. Yeah, he has an opportunity. We're going to set this up. So here, uh, I'm going to do one thing that I always do just for my OCD. Yes, even an Apple II can start participate up, going to. in uh, uh, OS One thing you'll 9. note is that I'm using OS 9 level 2 here. That's what I'd like and to see that gimmicks machine hooked up to I the really Cocoa with the shared software. I could use Nitrous 9. Yes. Um, it, it has all the stuff in it. If, but I really if you had two serial ports on each, you could actually have them logged into each other simultaneously. In 1987 or 8, and another machine like a Model 4 or something else floating hey around. Hey guys, what I, I wanted it. to share something uh, that I just discovered the other God. day. Hold on. That is uh, very useful for creating music to play back on the Opal 3 chip on the Mega Mini MPI. And that is that. Where is that coming from? Um, open MPT. Welcome to ADHD Open theater. Mod Plug Where Player. It's a uh, squirrel. First, the first speaker that, uh, icon just, on your tab. Not too long ago, I think it was late last yeah. year, added uh, support for Screen Tracker it's three annoying. files, which uh, allows you to use up to nine oh, it's probably voices. Oh, it's from Facebook. It's, that's my fault for leaving Facebook up there. Okay, sorry about that. Everything's autoplay these days, and it sucks. I know. I've yeah. got. I've got to really. Keep an eye on that. Okay, so let's go back to OS 9 forever without any interruptions, and I'll skip back to where we left off. All right. Using OS 9 level 2 here, and that's because I really want to do this with period software. I could use Nitrous 9. Um, it, it has all the stuff in it. But I really wanted to be able to show what was possible if I had a Color Computer 3 in 1987 or 8, and another machine like a Model 4 or something else floating around, what I could do with it with that. Uh, for what I'm about to do, uh, note that you'll need the OS 9 Level 2 development system from Tandy in addition to the base OS 9 package. And that's because two of the three modules I'm going to load here don't come with OS 9 Level 2. I think they used to come with Level 1, but they don't come with Level 2. They so do come they with do these abuse. on the development system diskettes, and I've copied them over to this system master diskette. So um, the first one that is there is X mode, and this is for setting up the serial port. And then we're going to load login. And we're going to load oops, PSMod. So login oh, is a login my module, um, and it's actually called yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get it into that a little bit later, Bill. <laughs> monitors whichever port you point it to for a carriage return, and upon getting one, it loads login and presents the user with the logon prompt. Um, one other thing I'm going to do here is I have a little a little procedure to build an 80-column window and set that up with white text. So while that runs, let's get the Apple II set up with baud rate. The 80-column screen on the Color Computer 3 will make it easier for me to show output from various commands. And, of course, the Apple II is in 80-column mode, as you can see. I'm going to use 1200 baud. Yes, the uh, serial port goes faster, uh, but I'm not going to use it. And, actually, that's one thing I did not mention. Uh, I never did find my Deluxe RS-232 pack that I mentioned in a previous video. So I took the opportunity to buy one of Ian Maverick's uh, The Right Stuff uh, made for 2019 serial cards for the color computer so that's not a sponsored message or anything i've just bought a few things uh, from ian. i will pause there but nobody knows where the this right stuff card by ian mavericks is located for purchase yeah i'd like to know all right i thought he had announced this a long long time ago didn't he yeah it's been stuff on facebook recently all right we'll have to check it check it out on facebook or our email ian, ian mavericks yeah, I'm not sure why he chose 1,200 baud because even Bill and I running eight ports at once ran at 4,800 at work. So I yeah, he said it's it just part of a quick and dirty test, so he wasn't going to get too. Um, he just threw it in yeah. at 1,200. Couldn't find mine. Super yeah. serial card is good new, for 1920. Well and doesn't have the lottery t lottery of will it work if I buy it on eBay. So buying a appropriately priced item that will work is very nice. So you can see here I have a pit of four. Uh, let's just do this. Clear the screen, and we'll go over to the other window. Here we go. And now, first thing I want to do is set my baud rate to 1200 baud, and T2 is the serial port down here in the multi-pack. has to be in slot 1, at least for this device descriptor. So we have that, and we'll just shoot a little test. Hello, you 
Drummy. Buzzard. Man, I can't type today. I say that in every video, it's because I just can't type. Okay, and now if I go over here, we have it. Hello, you Rummy Buzzard. Okay, so with that in mind, uh, let's uh, start this TS Mon on T2. an ampersand to send it to the background. Okay, I have a pit of three. Um, so let's do this. And we can see I have TSMon. Now, one thing I didn't note here, the default operating system loads up and starts shell um, after it finishes loading the startup file. I That gives you UID zero. You're basically the equivalent of root on a Unix system. And for this purpose, I'll keep it that way. The main console gets, uh, gets me as, as the super user. So over here, now that I have TSMon running, I'll hit enter. You can hear the floppy drive seeking. And here we go, S9 level two time sharing system, Ooh. level two, blah, 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 blah. And now I'll show how all this works. I have, oops. I don't know if this thing will take backspaces in the password entry. Apparently it will. Yes, it does. Because here I am, process five logged on. And if I look at the processes, I just see mine. Wow, an Apple. But I have the option. An Apple running a real operating system. Apples can always be used as terminals. User zero processes, <laughs> including shell and tsmon. So the interesting thing here is already you can see that the user number is kind of clue number one, and it does show up in a process list. The other place that it does show up is if you use the e flag on directory to show all the extended attributes on files. There was a 6809 card for the Apple II, but I don't know you if anyone's see that Super it. User owns most of them. That's right. But there here was. I have Chris down here. That's actually there is. The there's the left. One. The manual is floating this. around on the internet. That. And I, because I am Chris, I should be able to CHD to that directory. Okay, and I don't believe I have any files there. Meanwhile, while all this is happening, one thing that's nice about using the serial card and not the Bitbanger serial port is starting something like TSMon or login or anything else on the serial port that's interactive doesn't cause the machine to slow down. So here, I can run my commands quickly. And I can do an ender and see what's actually loaded on the system, which I could do on the other side too. But this is my super user side. So everything's kind of running. If I look at the serial properties for T2, I get a whole bunch of information about which character is what. So I see pause is on, echo is on, is on. I have to beat that, Mike. Pace, etc. Not bad. So let's see now what happens. I've so what have we learned so far? He is uh, he's been able to uh, send a uh, a process to the Apple, which it's reading over the terminal uh, screen at a certain baud rate. Uh, he has changed. Uh, he has become user number one as opposed to the super user of zero. Um, yeah. Got a file. Yeah, TSMon, the program he, he ran on T2 is stands for time sharing monitor and basically just sits there and monitors the port to see if anybody's been hitting enter at the baud rate it's set at. And then it runs a program called login, which he'll explain a little bit more in the future here. But uh, basically, you can have multiple users because it's a multi user operating system and it has permissions. So, I mean, when you log in on the Cocoa itself, when you boot it up, you're defaulted to super user, which is user zero, which means you can pretty well do anything you want. Um, if you log in as a, an actual number other than zero, which he logged in his Chris account here as user one, you're normally only allowed to access stuff that is made public or stuff that you've done yourself as user one. You're the owner. Mm -hmm. So if a user two logs in, he can't do stuff with your files if you set them up. You can make them public if you want, but you can actually like lock kids out of getting into certain directories or... Or as we did at work, we kept the salespeople out of the production staff part mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and things like that. So basically, that's what you do uh, to show that there's a, mm -hmm. you know, some sort of security on the system and also some way to prevent users from damaging other people's stuff. Absolutely. Okay. I'm logged in as Chris. I'm going to create a file. And I'm going to make sure I'm in the directory I want. It should be a D0 Chris. 
And I should note for those OS9 fanatics out there, I'm just working with changing my data directory, not my execution directory. Which apparently and he needs to mod patch his drive descriptor so it runs okay, so faster. I'm going to build a file here yeah. called chris.txt. So, you know, uh -huh. I, I think his point is that even out of the box, Everyone you can else. do stuff with OS 9. You don't have to. Else. Well, the whole multi-user part of OS 9 is built in. Like, um, okay. if you wanted to do multi-user in Windows, you had to pay and extra for the version that actually supported multiple users logging in simultaneously. And we'll just add a, we'll let this add, write the line, and then I'll write so there, and then we'll, there. It's a big okay, fan so of uh, British uh, euphemisms. If I do an extended directory listing, it should show me as owning the file. This would be much faster if I had like DriveWire or something running, and maybe sometime I could redo this with DriveWire and it'd be faster. But again, there wasn't DriveWire in the 1980s, so this is what was possible if you had. A no, he could just mod patch it for six milliseconds. That would help a lot. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why he's talking. Why he needs DriveWire, but yeah, because right now he's running at 30 milliseconds, which is the default slag slow version of it. <laughs> so. All of us, even back in the 80s, I mean, the first thing you did is mod patch and cobbler the drive, and and then you'd actually be running six your millisecond. six millisecond, which is like literally five times faster seek time on your floppy drive. Mm -hmm. And if he'd enable comments on his videos, we'd leave uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. commenting on them. But Rob and I, he found out he does have his, his general page for his entire YouTube does allow comments. So I think both of us have left things, but he hasn't answered any of it. So. All right, here I am, the owner is one. You'll notice the attributes here, WR. So these are the owner who can uh, read and write it. There's a directory attribute on there. Actually, I'll show you these from, I'll change to zero. And I will show you that. I'll explain the attributes. This there is going are two sets of attributes, unlike a Nix system where you have a user group and other. OS 9 really just has the owner and public. Public is everybody other than the owner. So here, of course, directory, that's pretty obvious. This one is blank on all these files. This can be an S, and that just means that only one file or one user can open the file at a time. The middle EWR is the writes, execute, write, and read, which for directories means the same things it does on a Nix system. But that's for public. And then the second EWR, execute, write, write, and read, is for all is for the owner. So public, owner. Hopefully I said that right. So that's the case. Now down here I have Chris. So how does the system know my user ID and password information? Well, I've already mentioned that I have the login and tsmon programs there in the CMDS directory. And they'll probably be at the end of the list. Yes, they are. There's login and tsmon. And of course now what brings this all together is in the sys directory is a password file. And by the way, if you have the OS 9 level 2 development kit, the password file uh, does have an example there for you. So I'm just going to list this. I'm going to try and list this file from here as me. And you can probably see where this is going. Error 214. And I will type it for you so you can see, but error 214 means no permission. There we are. And if I chd sys and I -E, this guy, I should be able to see the permissions of the file and see that as not the owner, combined with the permissions, I should not have access to see the file. And sure enough, here it goes. The owner is zero. That's root or UID zero. There isn't really called root user, but you can call him that. And only that user can read and write the file password. So there we go. All right. Well, I think um, I think we get the the point of that. Yeah, he does. A, he does. He shows you how the password file set up uh, just a little bit after that, and then he also logs in as a user two, and you can see that user one and user two can't affect each other's stuff either. Yes, and uh, and I think um, yeah, he's doing that here. Okay. So do you, do you want me to play anymore, or you think that's um. No, I don't think we need to play anymore. Um, the the one part of the uh, the password file thing in OS nine that was kind of primitive. I mean, it was originally written for OS nine level one in nineteen eighty, so that's probably why. 
but it's in plain text. So if you do our super user, you can just list it to see everybody's passwords. <laughs> oh, okay. So, you know, security-wise, it's not it's not you know hashed or encrypted or anything like that. It's pretty that now, mind you, since you don't have permission as another user, the other users can't go in and take a look at it anyway. The other users can't, but, can't but as a super user, you really you really are the super user. You can see everybody's everything. Yeah. Or if you're on the main console, like on the Coco's case, because the default login for the Coco itself is always super easy, you can always take a look at it there. So if somebody just hopped on your Coco, they could get a list of all your passwords. Right. But it also shows like the the, uh, the password file, you have username, so you can specify whatever you want. You have the password itself, whatever you want. And then it's got stuff like default priority levels, because there's priority levels. You can give certain users, you know, get more CPU time than other users, which we used to do at work too, um, as, as Bill can well attest to. Yep. Um, you also have stuff like what your default directories are for each user. So each user can have their own directory with mm -hmm. their own files that they're editing or doing anything with. Um, they also have what is your default program you want to run when they log in. Normally it's shell like he was showing here. So the user gets a shell. But what we did at work because we had problems where some of the sales staff and stuff who were not computer savvy in the slightest would just go in and start typing in random commands like format or whatever, because they saw they were there. <laughs> so you didn't want them doing that kind of stuff or <laughs> other people's files by accident. Like, Ooh, what, oh, what does that do? So yeah. what we did is we made a, a kind of a fake shell. We just wrote a basic nine program that just ha had its own built-in menuing system. It also had some built-in help because they needed a lot of help, you know, just getting around a computer in general back then in the eighties. And um, we would just fork that basic nine program when they logged in. So they never got to see a real shell. They got this very limited program we did specifically for whatever department they worked in. So the accounting department got access to accounting files. The salespeople got access to the sales files. And that's mm -hmm. it. And, and commands related to those only. And then anybody that we really did trust, uh, we actually gave full shell access. And uh, Bill was mentioning before uh, about MTSmon, which is not a standard OS9 command. But when we wrote work and I think we put it on the archive, didn't we, Bill? Or I know it's on EO. It's on the archive. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because um, basically, TSMON, if you wanted to run more than one serial port, you had to run TSMON slash T2 as one and slash T3 is another and slash T4, et cetera. And it actually takes a fair bit of memory to do that. It's got to run 8K for TSMON itself, 8K for the data area. And then whatever shells it spawns are also getting its own memory. So it was taking 16K per user. And we were running eight terminals simultaneously. So that takes a pretty good chunk of memory. And what Bill did is he came up with this ingenious idea of having one multi-time sharing monitor. So basically, you give it a config. Is it a config file, Bill, I think we give? Yeah, there's a, a small config file that has each terminal descriptor in it. Yeah. So basically, you run this one program once, and it has it pulls from this text file you create. How many serial ports am I running? What are they called? Mm -hmm. And it would actually then monitor them all simultaneously for the login thing. And then it would fork off the shell or whatever program you wanted to run. But that TSMON didn't have to run for every single port separately. You had one program that took 8K, and it could do eight ports at the same time and just still only take 8K. And there was a custom so module from... Bill? That was a custom module we did for work, and uh, we've since released, and it's on ease of use, and it's on the archive. So anybody wants to run a multi, full multi-user, like multi-serial ports, and some of the things now, like the Mega Mini Multipack, actually have multiple serial ports built onto it. So you can actually do this right now with the new hardware. Um, then you can actually set up a full multi-user system uh, without blowing all your memory, just trying to monitor all the serial ports. Okay, and since we're on the subject of ease of use, uh, anything you wanted to say about that? Um, I, I heard you talking yesterday about uh, Christmas still being uh, a goal for ease yeah. of use beta five. Yeah, ease of use beta five. Uh, we'll see how far we can get. My my goal is to get as much crammed in there as I can. My work schedule is still busy until the end of the month, pretty well. Um, you guys, uh, you and, and Nick have both been contributing icons. And, and the main thing that I want to add on, on ease of use is uh, having G-Shell able to launch BDG-based programs natively without having to do these little custom patch programs and launch programs and stuff. It'll just do it. And uh, Bill and I had started fiddling with that before my work got too busy for me to finish it and found out that um, the legal way to do that with normal Nitrous 9 uh, you can map in a window descriptor to change it from a regular window to a VDG window. And, and then I was going to do use that, change it to a VDG, and then launch the program from there. But I discovered since those are in your OS9 boot file, when you try to link it into G-Shell's memory, 
it actually would load your entire OSINE boot file into Gshell's memory, which means you immediately ran out of memory and then you wouldn't be able to run anything. So Bill and I came up with a new system call we're adding, uh, which will be released as part of the ease of use beta five. Um, and Bill's are actually already done the initial version of the patch to add this system call, which I haven't had a chance to test yet. But uh, basically it means it won't try to load the entire darn thing in. It'll allow you to patch it outside of your process space. And using that, we uh, should be able to relaunch without wasting any memory at all. So we don't have any memory limitations. And you should be able to start launching VDG games or old level one programs or whatever you want right from G shell. Okay. So that's, and, and that will open up, uh, of course, most, you know, of the major commercial of the releases. Yeah, because most of the commercial yeah. games, everybody used the VDG driver because I don't know why Tandy did this or Tandy Microware. The Coco 3 had the new graph drive, co-win, co-graph, or was originally called uh, GraphInt and, and WindInt, which was all the high-level Coco 3 modes, the windowing system, all the display commands you've seen us use before for drawing circles and arcs and boxes and everything else, mm -hmm. overlay windows, all that kind of thing. They put all that into that section, but to do direct screen writes, which you need to write for arcade games, if you want to like map a screen right into your process space and then start writing to it in machine language really quick, they put all that into the old 32 column driver for some stupid reason. <laughs> they made them mutually exclusive. If you want to do really fast screen writes in Cocoa 3 modes, you have to use the old Cocoa 1 style driver. If you want to use windowing and stuff like that, you have to use the new one, but then you can't directly access the screen, so you have to go through the entire OS slowdown system, which, I mean, mind you, we sped that up a lot, but. Uh, it doesn't beat writing ML where you're directly writing the screen. So all the old arcade games that Radio Shack brought out um, all use the VDG mode, and they had to run from that 32-column window to access those modes with with direct screen writes. So I like it said, that was a dumb idea. They should have put that into the new driver because then you could actually combine it. You could draw you know, your initial graphics for drawing your sprites using standard display commands and then write direct screen write access. And we've actually added some system calls to enable that, but not at all. People use those and none of the old games, of course, knew this existed, so they don't use it at all. So that's why a lot of them use the old 32 column screen, like, you know, the Rescue on Fractalus, Cronus Rift, Microscopic Mission, Sub Battle Simulator, Flight Sim 2, et cetera, et cetera. All the oh. Sierra games, they all use that te technique. So I don't have the uh, sound effect queued up for why did Tandy do that? But uh... <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure if that was a Tandy decision or a microwave decision because they were kind of working together on the Cocoa 3 stuff. So I'm not sure where the bad idea for that came from. The only thing I can think of is that the graphics system for the Cocoa 3, the uh, GraphInt, WindInt, GraphDrift combo does take more memory because GraphDrift takes at least 8K itself. Actually, it takes a bit more than that, but the, the driver itself takes 8K. And then the GraphInt and WindInt, now CoGraph and CoWind, takes three and eight or nine K, I think, or something along that line. And the VDG one only takes three K combined. So maybe that was also to give more free memory for these programs to run with. And so, so they could release stuff for 128K. 128K, yeah. yeah. I, that's the only reason that makes some sense to me. But I would have made it so that you could do it either way. Maybe you have a call that says, I want you know, to use the the main graphic system to do direct screen writes, or I want to use the you know, memory starved version and mm -hmm. let the uh, program decide which way to go. So you could actually use both, both ways. Cause right now, if you could, if you do this using code VDG, let's say you want to just do a pop-up overlay window, like say some of the Sierra games do when you're doing your inventory and stuff, they have to do that all manually and, and write a program that actually does all that stuff. Whereas on level two with the windowing system, you should be able to just, just send display codes and pop up an overlay this color and put some text on. And, um, it, that's not the way it currently works. Oh, okay. So, so if you if you want to use the windowing system and you're running out of a VDG, uh, you're going to have to have a game engine like the um, the Sierra game engine. Yeah, you have to write all those routines yeah. yourself. The yeah. only things you've got that are Cocoa three specific is setting the mode and uh, setting the palettes, and that's, that's pretty well it. Everything else is drawn by hand or by your program. Hmm. Go ahead, Bill. Oh, I was just agreeing with you, Kurt, that you're doing it all yourself. <laughs> Okay. So that, that's the main purpose of the Easy of Use Beta 5, aside from the fact we've thrown four or five more games on there already. You, I mean, there's a preview version of it out that a couple of you guys have, like Nick and yourself, Rob, because you guys were using the new icon editor for designing some of the icons. That's right. For the base stuff. Um, so the uh, goal is to get that G-Shell part working, and then that'll enable probably a couple dozen games that aren't enabled right now. Some of them are already gone there, some aren't. So that's the main goal. But there's some other patches, like I fixed the arc bug, um, 
where he's drawing certain arcs wrong. That's a bug that's been around for years, apparently. Um, so a couple other minor speed-ups, uh, a couple bug fixes. Um, some other programs we've added, and I'd have to take a look at my list, but there's a bunch of stuff. I've got a list of about 30 things already planned for the future. I will get as many of those as I can in before Christmas. So it's a nice, huge upgrade for everybody to get. But uh, if not, at the very least, you guys will be able to launch all these games right from G-Shell. Yeah, no, that'll be exciting. Uh, in terms of Super Super Ike, the icon editor, I did uh, mention on a previous Cocoa Talk that people could just type in Super Ike into Ease of Use Beta 5, not realizing, okay, most people don't have access to that. Uh, they could certainly ask for access to it. But yeah. it is... There is a version of Super Ike on the older one, but it's a little bit buggy and the scaling's okay. wrong. Okay, so, so you could... Start, when you get to the bottom of the screen, you'll click on a box to fill it and it'll fill the box below it or above it. I can't remember what it is because it's... It was set for uh, hard coded for a 192 column screen, but with scaling turned on. And since Nitrous 9 defaults normally to a 200 line screen, it kind of gets screwed up and misses stuff. Okay, so if you if you do have ease of use beta four, and we'll post the I'll post a whole bunch of links here shortly. Uh, hopefully, we can go to John Strong here in a second. Um, but if you have ease of use um, beta four, you can type in Super Ike, and if you're willing to deal with a few bugs, you can start contributing. Um, yeah, or at least get familiar with the program and, and realize that once the the full versions of uh, beta five is out, you'll get the fixed version and also much faster. Okay. Yep. So you can go in there and just kind of play around with it, get used to the program, and then when uh, beta five comes out, you could actually create some icons. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, we've got Grant coming in uh, here, um, and I did want to mention before we before we go to Grant or um, John Strong here. Uh, that Ian Maverick will have his version of his cereal cart available for a purchase at Tandy Assembly. So if you are going to Tandy, Tandy Assembly or you know somebody who is, you can get them there. Uh, and I think you can also contact him on Facebook and other places. Um, okay, so that is a new new product then. It sounds like it's fairly well. Paul Paul Fiskerly says he's had them out for a while now. I don't know. I don't know how long that is. Oh, there okay. was an announcement in March. He was showing the boards and stuff, so they've been out probably since at least uh, Cocoa Fest. Okay, so um, we'll get the word out for for Ian, and we have additional cereal options, and I, I don't think we've been uh, too aware of that. So we'll we'll certainly spread the news. 